scripture reading this morning is from the 23rd chapter of John, beginning with verse 39. Hear these words. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he replied, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word of God for the people of God. You don't have to spend much time in our culture before you realize that we love a good celebrity, don't we? We read magazines about them. They're on the news all the time. Usually trends that take over our culture start because a celebrity did it first or wore it for first or said it first. I would say that most people have a celebrity or an athlete or somebody in the public sphere that they want to be like. I think we have a, a fascination with being famous wondering what it would be like, and oftentimes tend to idealize that life. If you ask a child what they want to be when they grow up, sometimes they'll just say, what? I just want to be famous. I just want to be famous. And I'll admit, there are some things that I do envy about celebrities, but there's one thing above all the rest that I really, that I really don't. And it's this, when a celebrity or when someone who is famous, when they make a mistake, when they slip up, when they have a moment of weakness, it gets plastered all over the place, doesn't it? And it really doesn't matter how much good they have done up to that point. And oftentimes, that's how they get remembered. We see it happen all the time. A celebrity that has lived a relatively good life up to this point. They've been generous. Maybe they've started a foundation. They've been a good parent. They've taken good care of their spouse. They've been accessible and kind to fans. And then something will come out about them. A mistake will surface. Whether it's infidelity or an addiction or a video that somebody took on their cell phone of them just having a bad day and losing their temper on somebody. Or maybe they messed up a concert or a production or they just had a moment of weakness in their life. Something that we all have. And suddenly, that's what they're branded by. And the headlines roll out. And man, it can seem like it's impossible to recover from something like that. Every mistake they make is usually how they're remembered in the eyes of the public. And I mean, who, who wants that? I don't want that. Don't we want to be remembered by the good that we did instead of the bad? I want to be remembered for when I crushed it, not for when I flubbed it or messed it up. Who wants to be remembered for yelling at the cashier? Or for losing our temper with a loved one just because we've had a long day at work. Or forgetting about our child's basketball game and realizing that they were looking for us in the stands and we just, we just missed it. 
Who wants to be remembered for losing our temper at the leasing agent when you lived in an apartment in Dallas because you'd been telling them for the past three months that every time we got a good heavy rain, water was seeping up through the floor of your ground level unit. And no matter how many times you told them or how many pictures you sent, they did nothing about it for three months, believe it or not. And now it's a Thursday. Your apartment is flooded again, except only now there's black mold growing under the floor and up the walls. And you know that not only because you can see it, but because you're starting to get sick and your wife is starting to get sick. And even your golden retriever puppy is developing a cough. And you have to preach on Sunday a sermon that you haven't written yet. And you had a paper due that evening and you went outside while it's still raining to get in the car and drive up to the leasing office and your car won't start. So you call the leasing agent, one of the people at the office that has no power over your situation, and you just absolutely lay into them. And then you finally walk up to the office and you realize that you have a Perkins School of Theology shirt on, just in case anybody was not clear what your trajectory in life was. Not that I have any experience with that, but who, who would want to be remembered for that moment? If you're like me, you hope that when your life is over, you won't be remembered for moments like that. That instead you'll be remembered for the good that you did. For the positive impact that your life had on the world. And today, as we continue to walk through the words that Jesus speaks from the cross during our Lenten season together, we'll consider not only how Jesus is remembered by the words that he spoke on the cross, but also how Jesus chooses to remember us. I think today we'll find words of of life and hope coming from the mouth of Jesus Words that remind us of the grace and the love of God. And words that assure us that God does indeed remember us. So it's Friday. It's the day of Jesus' death. He's already been sentenced to death along with two other men that Luke calls criminals in his gospel. Above Jesus' head reads the inscription, King of the Jews, as a statement of mockery. And he hangs in agony from the cross. The religious leaders and and the soldiers who, who put him there, if you were to look back just a few verses in the gospel, you would see that they are scoffing him and mocking him as he hangs there. Saying things like, why can't he save himself? We've seen him save others. Saying things like, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. If you are truly the Messiah, why don't you just climb down from that cross? If, if, if. We're following a book together as a church this season of Lent. It's written by an author named Susan Robb. The title of the book is Seven Words Listening from, to Jesus from the Cross. And I was reading her chapter on this for this week, and she pointed something out to me about that moment that I don't think I'd ever noticed before. She makes a point that these taunts and and jeers that Jesus is weathering from the cross, that they should remind us of Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. 
You remember that, right? Just after his baptism and before his public ministry, Jesus goes into the wilderness to fast and to pray for 40 days. And it's during that time that Jesus is confronted by the devil. And the devil says things like this to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become a loaf of bread and and feed yourself. And if you are the son of God, then throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple because surely God's angels will be there to save you. And in that span of the 40 days, Jesus doesn't take the bait. Instead, he quotes scripture and he passes the test. And then the gospel writer, Luke, he reports to us, and I'd never noticed this before, that when the devil had finished giving Jesus his test, he departed from Jesus until a more opportune time. And my goodness, does it not seem like the crucifixion is that opportune time? Only instead of the devil tempting Jesus here, it's the religious leaders and and the soldiers. And now one of the criminals who hangs next to him on a cross of his own. The criminal turns to Jesus and says, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Get us down from here. The irony, of course, is that Jesus is who they say he is. But in order to prove his true identity, he must not save himself so that he can go on to save others. And in the midst of all of that, all of the mocking and the taunting and the jeering, there seems to be just one person that's just just taking it all in. One person that I imagine just just listening. And that person is, of course, the other criminal that hangs on a cross of his own as well. And we never really learn why this criminal thinks differently of Jesus than the other criminal. Maybe he's seen the huge crowds around Jesus as he spoke in Jerusalem and in the synagogue. Maybe he was a witness to all the people that lined up the streets when Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Maybe he heard the shouts of the crowd blessing the king who who comes in the name of the Lord into this holy city. We don't really know, though. I mean, we assume that he had at least heard of Jesus before this moment that he shared with him on the cross. I mean, who hasn't up to this point in the life and ministry of Jesus, the miracles and the healings and the abundance that's been coming from Christ and his ministry? Surely he's at least heard of Jesus. Surely he's heard the whispers. Is this really the Messiah? He's seen the inscription over Jesus' head. He's endured the same treatment as Jesus. And he heard the prayer coming from the mouth of Jesus that we looked at Last week, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. What we do know is that for this second criminal, there just, there just seems to be something about Jesus for him. Whether it's his actions or his words or, or his, his demeanor, but something that just seems to cut straight to his heart. And in the midst of all of that, taunting. He is the one that seems to to see 
and understand what is really going on here. And it's that Jesus is innocent. And Jesus' words about the kingdom of God and other, other folks' hopes in him, that they're not words of blasphemy. And he can see that Jesus really is the chosen one, that he really is the anointed one, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And this realization that he has, even in the midst of his pain and his own crucifixion, he cannot help but speak up for Jesus. So he says something to the other criminal. Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly for getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. Can't you see that we deserve it and he doesn't? He hasn't done anything wrong. And then he turns and speaks directly to Jesus. And he does something that nobody else in the Gospel of Luke does. Instead of calling Jesus by a title, like rabbi or master or teacher, he calls Jesus by his name, almost like a close friend. And he says, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come in to your kingdom. When I read that this week, I couldn't help but think of Psalm 25. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Do not remember me for the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. I mean, isn't that what we all want? To be remembered by God, not for the things that we have done wrong, but instead remembered according to God's steadfast love. This week, I found myself thinking about my grandfather, Pete Furio. That name may sound familiar to a few of you. He was a United Methodist pastor here in North Alabama for his his whole preaching career. And he passed when I was in the fourth grade. And I do have some memories with him. We did spend a lot of time together, and some of those memories are clearer than others. But really, my main avenue for for knowing him is how he is remembered. That's really how I know him, by hearing other people tell stories about who he was and what he did in his ministry. And I can remember thinking at a very young age that I wanted to be remembered like people remember Pete. I cannot tell you how many people have come up to me after recognizing my last name and told me that they are a follower of Christ because of his ministry and his presence with them through a tough season of their life. I mean, it has happened to me so many times. I was on choir tour when I was in high school with my church youth choir, and we were singing in a random United Methodist church in California. And somebody that had come to hear us sing picked my last name out of our little handout, waited around after the service to make sure he could find me, 
just so he could tell me that he didn't know where he would be in his life if it wasn't for the presence and ministry of Pete Furio with him. Or the story that I heard about him at his funeral that a young associate told about a moment that he shared with him. This young associate was about to preach for the first time in a church that was fairly large, and he talked about how nervous he was to preach and how Pete knew how nervous he was to preach. So Pete stood up at the pulpit and gave this young associate a booming introduction like only a seasoned senior pastor can pull off, which of course made this young pastor even more nervous. And as he finished, he called the associate up to the pulpit to begin his sermon. And as they walked by one another, he whispered, your flies down. (laughs) And he had a robe on, right? But he said, your flies down. And that young associate said that was the perfect thing. That that moment, it just cut all the tension out of that moment, that it stripped away all of his nerves. And he was able to get up and preach with a clear mind and a clear heart. Or the work that he did to be the founding pastor of St. Mark UMC over in Vestavia. And how many people I've talked to where that local church has enriched their life and their relationship with Christ, all because of the work that Pete did to found that church. When I graduated from seminary, I was given some things that belonged to him, some books and some sermons. I was given his briefcase and some office trinkets and stuff like that. But the most special things that I was given was a few of his stoles, a few of them that he kept after he retired, because really I think he gave most of them away to young pastors like me that couldn't afford their own stoles at that point of their ministry. And this is one of them. I thought it was fitting for me to wear this today, because when I reflected on his life and his ministry and what I've heard about him I realized that a huge motivator for my life and my ministry is seeking to be remembered for a lot of the same things. I don't want you to hear me wrong. I'm not saying that he was perfect. I'm sure that he made plenty of mistakes. I'm sure that he had many transgressions that he could have been remembered by. But man, my whole life, I have watched and heard Pete be remembered for the good that he did. And I'd just be lying to you if I said that wasn't a huge motivation for my ministry. I want to be remembered for the same things. I want to be remembered for the things that I did right, not the multitude of things that I have done wrong. And friends, I think Jesus' response to the criminal in our scripture, it gives us hope that through him we just just might. Jesus' response is this. You've already heard it once. Truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. If you're like this criminal hanging next to Jesus, if you're like me, then you desperately want to be remembered, not for your mistakes, but for the good that you've done in your life. If you're like me, or if you're like this criminal, then you're seeking freedom. You're seeking to be released of the things that you have done wrong in your life, hoping that God will see you and remember you for who you really are, for who you're striving to be. And the hope that this text gives us is that paradise, salvation, 
the bliss that is being in God's presence, this release from what all that we have done wrong, that all of that begins today. All of that. It begins today. Today is born to you in the city of David a Messiah, a Savior. Today, Zacchaeus, I'm coming into your house to eat with you. Today, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house. The hope, friends, is that the kingdom of God is not something in the far distant future, that it dawns today, here and now. Today is the day that we worship a God who looks at us as his beloved children, a God that calls us by name despite our mistakes, despite our worst moment, a God who remembers us. All because a man named Jesus didn't save himself and instead chose to save others. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us, and I hope that you found this message to be meaningful and life-giving. I look forward to you joining us next time, either on our live stream on Sunday mornings here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. It's at 10 o'clock a.m., or if you want to join us in person, you're welcome to do so also here at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. You can find out more about our church family, who we are, what we do, and how to get involved, as well as more information about our worship services at www.bluffparkumc.org. Hope you have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you next time.